Well, good morning, everybody. Um, one of the things that I've tried to do over the course of my life is to become an amateur mechanic. Um, in my mind, I think that this saves me a lot of money, um, and maybe it does, but I'm not sure if the time and energy and cuts and scrapes and frustrations and everything else that comes with doing it yourself is worth it, but I've tried to do that. And when you start doing something like that, and even for me, you start by watching somebody else do it, and then you go, oh, that looks pretty easy. I think I can do that on my own. Um, and then you attempt to do it on your own outside of them, but it's never quite the same when you try on your own as when you watch somebody else do it. There's always uh, extra parts left over at the end. Uh, the pieces aren't quite where they were when they were doing it. Um, sometimes the screws won't come out um, like they did for them when it was just so easy. And so you get all of these things that compound it. Um, and then you watch more YouTube videos and they always make it look so easy in those videos. Something about editing, I think, makes it look super easy for them. Um, but you, when, you, when I started this, you think you have enough knowledge to do something, but something seems to be missing at some point in the process. And maybe for you, that wasn't a something as a mechanic, but maybe that's doing something on the computer, or you're going to fix your hair a certain way, or a recipe, or a home repair. And you're like, oh, I saw them do it, and it looks so easy, and I'm just going to do the exact same thing, and it's going to be great. But when you do it, it doesn't quite turn out the same. There seems to be something missing, like they have special knowledge that they forgot to share with you along the way. Well, that's sort of what we're going to see in Acts this morning. We're going to see some people doing some good things, um, mostly good things, um, but something is missing. Um, it isn't quite what it's supposed to be, and for us, we can learn from them um, and seek to constantly grow to a fuller and fuller knowledge of God and experience of the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to be in Acts this morning, in Acts chapter 18, we're going to go into chapter 19, but it's page 985 in your pew Bible this morning if you're sitting there. Um, and as we read through this, I want you to listen, because we went through everything last week, chapters 1 through 18, most of 18. Um, kind of of how the gospel is expanding and going to the ends of the earth. So as we continue to read our short, smaller section today, listen for how the gospel continues to expand and how the Holy Spirit is actually the driving force behind what is happening in this chapter. So let's read that uh, together. And it says, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native Alexandrian, an eloquent man who was competent in the use of the scriptures, arrived in Ephesus... Um, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was, teaching, he was speaking and teaching accurately about Jesus, although he knew only John's baptism. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. After Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. When he wanted to cross over to Achaia, uh, the brothers and sisters wrote to the disciples to welcome him. After he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating through the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they told him. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Into what then were you baptized, he asked them. Into John's baptism, they replied. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance telling the people that they should believe in the one who would come after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in other tongues and to prophesy. 
And now there are about 12 men in all. A little bit of a coincidence there that there was 12 of them, right? Um, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly over a period of three months, arguing and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became hardened and would not believe, slandering the way in front of the crowd, he withdrew from them, taking the disciples and conducted discussions every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. And God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands so that even face cloths or aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Now some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists also attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I command you by the Jesus that Paul preaches. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest, were doing this. The evil spirit answered them, I know Jesus and I recognize Paul, but who are you? And then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all, and prevailed against them, so that they ran out of the house naked and wounded. When this became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, they became afraid. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high esteem. And many who had become believers came confessing and disclosing their practices, while many of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them in front of everyone. And so they calculated their value and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. In this way, the word of the Lord flourished and prevailed. And so there's a lot going on in this section, and we're going to kind of take it piece by piece. But first, I want us to see that knowledge without the Spirit is deficient, right? Something is missing in that. And we see this in Apollos, who came, and, how, and we see how he was described, right? He was competent with the Scriptures. This would be Old Testament Scriptures. He was passionate. He was fervent about God and about teaching about Him. It even says he was teaching accurately. So he was faithfully and passionately teaching what he knew. The problem was what he knew was a little behind what God was doing in the world. He was teaching John's baptism, which is from John the Baptist, which was good. But as it says, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance and looking forward to the Messiah. So it's likely that Apollos had heard of Jesus and some of the things that he had been doing but most likely, he hadn't heard of Jesus' death and resurrection. And in addition to that, he hadn't heard that the Spirit had come at Pentecost in a new way. And so although he knew a lot, and he was passionate, and was proclaiming it very well, it was still deficient. There was still something missing. And that's where Priscilla and Aquila come in. Um, we didn't talk much, a lot about them last week, but they were kind of sprinkled in. Um, to the book of Acts, but they are a faithful couple that you see throughout Acts and throughout Paul's letters. Um, they help out people, other believers, they open their home, and here they help out a young preacher. Uh, they take, take him aside and teach him in the way of God more accurately, right? Remember it said that Apollos was teaching accurately, but now he is instructed to teach more accurately, Right? There is more to it. So how does that work? Well, think about if you're shooting a bow and arrow, right? how you can be more accurate. First, right, you're just trying to hit the target. Right? If I can hit the target from this far away, that's good news. But you can be more accurate than that. So then you're like, well, I'm going to hit the bullseye. 
right? And so you're aiming for this little circle. And if you hit the, all the bullseye all the time, that's great. And then to be more accurate, you're like, I'm going to hit the center of the bullseye every time. Right? You can be more accurate as you go along. And I think the same thing is true with us about Jesus. We can know about him, but our knowledge of him can become more accurate. Right? First, you just understand Jesus was alive and he was a real historical person. Right? That is true about him. But now we know that you learn that he also died. Right? He went to the cross and died. And not only that, he died, but then he rose again and he came back to life. And then in addition to that, after that, he went to heaven and the Holy Spirit came. And so you see how you get more accurate as you go, the more you understand of who Jesus is. I think that's what's happening with Apollos. What he knew was right, but there was more to know. He could be more accurate in the knowledge of what he received. So for us, no matter how much we know about God, no matter how accurately we know or how accurately we teach or help others, we can always know more accurately. There is always more to learn about Jesus. There is always more to experience of him, of him. There's always more to know. The reason I know this is because he is infinitely great and infinitely most merciful and infinitely powerful and all of these other things. And if the word infinite is in front of something, that means it never ends, which means you can learn about that thing also forever because that never ends either. And so you just continue to do that. But we also get a second version of this. Um, in the group of disciples that didn't quite have the full picture. This is the one where Paul goes up and he says, hey, what have, you, have you been baptized into the Spirit? And they're like, we haven't even heard of that. Um, and so they are also a little behind in what God is doing in the world. They had only heard of John's baptism. It's hard sometimes for us to imagine a time when something could happen that was a significant event in history um, and you wouldn't know about it, right? Because now... We're like watching stuff in Ukraine live on your phone with people who are on the ground taking videos and posting them to social media. Like for us to understand, hey, this happened in Pentecost a while ago and these people still don't know is hard for us to understand. But it was a different world back then. Um, And so it says they haven't heard of the Holy Spirit, which doesn't mean they didn't know that the Holy Spirit existed, but they didn't know the new way that the Spirit was working. We know that because John, when he was teaching, John the Baptist, when he was teaching in the Gospels, he taught that the Messiah was coming and that he would baptize with the Holy Spirit. So John's disciples knew that the Holy Spirit would be coming and that the Messiah would baptize them into that. And so they knew that, they just hadn't quite understood or seen that it had already come in a new way. So they were unaware of what happened at Pentecost. And so then they are baptized into the name of Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit. Now, just a quick aside, um, because there's a couple of things here that I think might be important to clarify. This verse or this section of verses is not a case for rebaptism. Notice it says they got baptized into the name of Jesus. They were already baptized into John. This is not saying you need to be rebaptized if you were truly baptized. It's also not a case for the second, a second blessing of the Spirit. Uh, many people take these texts in the book of Acts, oh, oh, they were Christians and they believed and they got baptized and then later they received the Holy Spirit. So, what I'm telling you is, what's happening in the book of Acts when you see these situations where the Holy Spirit is coming on people, and we saw that last week a little bit, and I think we'll see it one or two more times, 
What's happening is God is showing the progression and authenticity of the gospel and the Spirit spreading. Notice that every time the Holy Spirit shows up, one of the apostles is there. And so this is how Luke and God through him is telling us this is an authentic movement of God. This isn't just random people doing things on their own, but there's a connection between each of these groups and the Holy Spirit moving in them. And this is unique to the book of Acts and the early church in this time. And so everything is connected to validate the movement of God in these moments. Now we are baptized one time after we become believers to symbolize that we are believers in Christ. And when we become believers in Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit in that moment. It doesn't come later. There's not a special thing that happens after that. You get all of that all at the same time. There's no need for a second blessing or a baptism of the Spirit. It all happens at conversion. So I just wanted to clarify that because other people will read this and say, well, see, this says you need to do all of these other things, but it doesn't really say that. What we would say is this is descriptive, not prescriptive, meaning this is describing what happened, but not a prescription for what you need to do in the future. At least that's what I will say. Um, People will argue with me, but I feel confident in where I'm at on this. Um, But just wanted to throw that in. And so the call for us after seeing these two things of Apollos, who was instructed to know more accurately, and the disciples who didn't know about the Spirit being baptized and changed and receiving the Spirit, we see two examples of how people knew a lot, but they didn't quite have the whole picture. And so what we learn from this is we need each other to help us do that. Because full understanding of Jesus and understanding of the Spirit spirit is beneficial for us. This is why we need to learn and to teach, right? We need to learn and be taught by others. Even though what we know may be accurate from our perspective, we can still be taught more accurately by someone else who has a different perspective, has a different way to see it, a different experience, a different understanding of what this means in Scripture. And so we can learn more accurately from each other as we share what we know, as we grow and as we lead others to the truth. So we learn from each other so that we can have a full picture of who God is. And then we see Paul continue to preach in the synagogue for three months. Um, Just as an aside, that's a record for Paul. Um, He never made it to three months anywhere else. It was usually just a day or two, and then they kicked him out and sent him off running. So three months is actually a long time in Ephesus. Um, And then after he left the synagogue, he went and preached for another two years. And it says the gospel continued to spread in that area. And as it spread, people began to hear and to see what the name of Jesus could do. And as a result, we had some people that tried to take advantage of that. And So that's where we see that Jesus' name without the Spirit is deficient. So first, I know you guys know this, but Jesus' name in itself has power. We see this all throughout Scripture. Right? And even some of the things we do. We pray in the name of Jesus. Right, In Jesus' name, amen, is what a lot of us say when we finish praying. We believe that it has power. We are baptized in the name of Jesus. Then we have the verses that uh, one day every knee will bow at the name of Jesus. There is power in his name. And we know even from the book of Acts, Peter does this in Acts 3 and 4. He heals people 
in the name of Jesus. And so we know that Jesus' name does have power. Um, But we know also that that power comes from God, not from just saying his name. It isn't the name in itself, the word in itself, that has the power. It's what's behind that that's connected to it. But that's not what happens with these guys. And before we keep going, I think it's important to understand a little bit more about Ephesus because understanding Ephesus is going to give us some insight into what's happening um, both with these guys, these itinerant exorcists. What a job, right? Um, What's happening with these guys and some of the miracles later are going to make a lot more sense if we understand what's happening in Ephesus. And so Ephesus was a center for magic and sorcery. Um, The temple of Artemis was here. It's one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Um, It was in Ephesus. Um, And here they had a statue of her, and on her statue there were words engraved on it, and these words were known as the Ephesian scripts. Um, And these scripts were magical gibberish that were considered to have great power. And so if you said these words or read these words and said them out loud, um, great things or magical things would happen. In addition to that, Ephesus was a city on decline. They were previously a central city because of the port and where they were located, Um, but because of the way they kind of overused it and other things that happened, um, the mouth of the river where they were located filled up with silt. And so when it fills up with silt, you can no longer get boats in there, and so you no longer become a port, which cuts you off from where you got most of your money and income. And so then it changes where you are. And so the city is declining. So take a city that's already full of magic and sorcery and this great temple that worships Artemis and take away most of their economy. And then you get a recipe where people are going to come there to participate only in magic and sorcery and this temple. Um, just for reference, the city of Ephesus is now seven miles from the shoreline. Um, So when it says it's filling up with silt, um, it's happening significantly, and so it's backing up further and further away. And so this declining situation meant more and more people are coming, and so to see and to hear strange incantations or miracles was not out of the question here. So this is why we see some of the things we see here. I think God was using what the Ephesians were familiar with to show his power say you're used to seeing this and you say these things and it sort of does this but this is what real power looks like and so we see that in the episode with the sons of Sceva who was a high priest now they kept pretty good records of who the high priests were in this time and this guy isn't on any of them Um, and so what most likely has happened is this guy is pretending to be a high priest and selling himself as a high priest because high priest had special knowledge and special words or material that they could use or say that other people couldn't. And so I think he's pretending to be a high priest to make money off of it and say, I have something that other people don't have because I'm a high priest. So if you have a problem, you can come to me and I can take care of it because I have the solution. I have the spells. I have the words to be able to solve your problem. So either way, His sons had observed what is happening with the gospel and with Paul and with the name of Jesus, and they thought, hey, this looks like this spell or this incantation really works. If I say these words, then this stuff happens, and it all looks pretty amazing. 
It seems to get results, so why not use it? In addition to that, if you know anything about Scripture, the Jews did not say God's name. Right? They refused to say it, which is where we get Yahweh from. It was a, some characters with some missing, and they didn't even write the whole thing. Right? And so their thinking is, well, it must be really powerful because even the Jews won't say it. But if they won't say it, we will. We'll say it. We'll use it. It's powerful. We can use it to overcome. And so they try to cast out this spirit, and it doesn't end well for them. Um, the spirit recognizes the people they mention, Jesus and Paul, um, but not them, and they get beat up and chased out of the house. Um, as someone wrote in what I read this week, um, if you get in a fight and you're wearing pants at the beginning, and at the end of the fight you're not wearing pants, uh, you lost the fight. Um, so that's sort of what happens to them is they get beat up, they end up running with no clothes on, so they definitely lost the fight. And so it didn't work out the way that they thought. And their mistake was they thought the power was in the words. Right? If I say the words or if I just use them right, then I can have or control their power. Right? But that's not how it works. The power doesn't come from the words. The power comes from Jesus himself. And as the Spirit pointed out, in this man... They aren't connected to Jesus or to Paul, for that matter. It's third hand for them. Remember, he says, I know Jesus, I recognize Paul, but I don't know who you are. They weren't directly connected to Jesus. And I think that's part of the challenge for us, is we need to be directly connected to Jesus. Not second hand, not third hand, but first hand, connected to Jesus directly. Right? It's not Ben knows or Jimmy knows, but I know. I know this to be true. I have seen this. I have experienced it. Right? And it's not just knowing facts or words about Jesus, but it's having a relationship with him, of actually knowing who he is, of spending time with him, right? of experiencing him, of talking with him in prayer, of listening to him, of reading about him in Scripture. And as we do that, we come to know him. We come to understand and we come to love him, right? As we get to know him and experience him fully, our goal is to be connected to Jesus personally, right? He gives us that opportunity. And as we do that, I think we come to love him. And I, what we're going to see next, I think, is that loving him is what makes the biggest difference. And so we see next that Jesus with the Spirit is sufficient, Right, first, we get this interesting passage about miracles in verses 11 and 12. It says, God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands so that even face cloths or aprons that touched his skin were brought to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. And so this is where I think it's important to remember the background of Ephesus and that it's full of people seeking sorcery and magic. I also want us to note that it says these miracles are called extraordinary, right? They're extraordinary miracles is what it tells us. These are not your typical miracles, even as far as miracles go. These are extraordinary, extra, special, a one-time thing that happens in this way. It also doesn't say that Paul is handing out 
the face cloths and aprons, and he's not on the corner like passing them out. It just kind of happens this way, right? Just that they were healing people. And I think you would agree with me on this. God has the prerogative to, and power to heal people whenever and however he wants. So if he wants to do it through a handkerchief or an apron, he can totally do that. It's not my job to say, no, God can't do that. Right? I don't have that kind of authority or power. And so if he wants to do it this way, then he totally can. And so I think what he's doing here is he's honoring people's faith by healing them in these things. And then he can do that. If you remember, we have an example of this with Jesus, with the woman in the crowd who touches his cloak, right? And she is immediately healed. We see this before. And what's honored in that story is her faith. Right? Not the cloth. What is bringing them healing is their faith in the power of God. And so in this, we, I think we see that God works however he wishes. We don't get to decide that or control that, even though we might want to, or say, well, that's extraordinary. And here it says, yes, this is extraordinary. This isn't the, even the normal way that a miracle happens, but it is happening this way. Then we get the response to Jesus and the Spirit working, right? When this became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, this is after the guys tried to take on the Spirit. They get beat up. They run out of the house. People are like, oh, this name of Jesus is a big deal because these guys tried to misuse it, and it didn't go well for them. So there must be power here. So they became afraid, and the name of Jesus was held in high esteem. And many who had become believers came confessing and disclosing their practices. Um, This is a big deal. Because as you guys all know, um, a magician never reveals his secrets. And so this is the same kind of thing. When it says they are disclosing their practices, it's, it's a big deal because the books and the spells and the things that they have, it was thought that if they are exposed and become public knowledge, they lose their power, right? Just like when you know how somebody does a magic trick, it's no longer as amazing as it was before, right? And so it loses their power. So it's a big deal that they are disclosing them. And then they collected their books and they burned them in front of everybody and they calculated their value to be around 50,000 pieces of silver. Um, that's a lot for back then, just so you know. It's based, think of it like one piece of silver for a day's wage. So that's how much money it was. So 50,000 days, which you could live off of that for a really long time, um, just to be sure. And so we get this response and we see these people moved to fear or moved to all of Jesus and the power of his name. And as a result, he was praised and people confessed and they repented and they got rid of their books and collections. And they were moved to fear and awe because of people misusing the name of Jesus. And as a result, Jesus' name was praised. They not only confessed, they not only repented, but they were moved to action to rid their lives of the things that went against Jesus' call on their lives. So it actually moved them to change. And I think what is happening here is their love for Jesus, which I think is behind this, changed their affections. Right? It changed what they cared about. It changed what they desired. It changed what they valued. Um, affections is kind of an old school term. We don't really use that as much, especially not in church. But I think what they're talking about is your religious affections, how much you love God. Think of it like this. Um, when you meet somebody, think way back in the day, like before you were married, um, and you met somebody and you thought, oh, we're going to be, we're friends. And then you decide, well, maybe I want to be more than friends with this person. 
right? And so you ask them out or whatever you did, and then you start spending more time with them. But all of a sudden, things that weren't as important before now come really important. Things like, I don't know, being clean um, or dressing in a different way and dressing nicely and fixing your hair or putting on makeup or whatever it is. Those things, now you were like, ah, whatever, I'll do it later. Now they become really important. Why is that? Because your affections have changed for that person. You now love them in a different way, or like them, let's not get carried away, right? In a different way than you did before, and that changes your behavior because your affections have been changed. There's an outward sign that your affections have changed, right? And I think that is what, happened, what is happening here. As their affections for Jesus changed and grew deeper and deeper, it affected the way that they lived their lives, and it moved them to action. And it moved them to say, these things that previously had great value, this book that I have of spells or this thing that I did, it no longer has value. And not only do I not want to do it anymore, I don't even want to see it anymore. So I'm going to burn it and get rid of it and have nothing else to do with this. And I think Jesus also changes our affections in the same way, right? Because we now have books of spells or things like that, but we all have sins and habits and things that we know we're not supposed to do. But so many times what we do is we just say, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. But then we just put it on the back shelf over here and say, I promise I'll just keep it there. I'll never look at it. I'll never touch it. I'll never do it again. But we never actually get rid of it and say, no, I don't want anything to do this so much so that I'm going to get rid of it and I'm going to burn it. Whether that's a real thing in our lives or just a habit to say, I'm going to get rid of this habit so much that it's like I'm burning it. Right? When our affections are stirred for Christ and we really love him, then it moves us to action to get rid of all of those things that try to hinder us that try to slow us down, that try to pull us off track. And it's not enough if our affections are great enough just to say, I'm not going to do it anymore, but I'll just set it aside. But to say, no, I'm going to get rid of that forever. And I never want to see it again, and I never want to touch it again, and I never want to do it again. Right? Those affections have changed. Because love for Jesus partnered with living by the Spirit is a powerful combination. It changes your life forever. It changes the way you see the world. It changes what you love. It changes what's important to you. It changes the way you act. It changes how you respond to things. And so what I want us to see from this passage is that we need a full understanding of God and a full understanding of Jesus and what he's done for us and how he changes us, and a full understanding of the Spirit and how all of those things work together to stir and change our affections for Christ so that we live a life that's different, that honors him. And so as we walk away, our goal is to know Jesus more fully and more accurately. Right? However much you know about who Jesus is, however much you've studied, however much you've learned and forgotten that you've learned and learned again, right? continue to grow in your knowledge. You can always be more accurate in what we know. But in addition to that, just like Priscilla and Aquila, 
it's our job also to help others grow in knowledge. And that's not just for people that preach on Sunday morning or teach Sunday school, but that's for all of us. We're all responsible to help others grow more accurately in their knowledge of Jesus. Right? Priscilla and Aquila didn't have an, an official position, right? And they definitely weren't supposed to correct some preacher who was doing a great job, right? We wouldn't normally think that, but they said, hey, you can grow and learn. And so they wanted to help him. And so we need to have that same posture of wanting to help others grow in their knowledge of Christ. But also to live by the Spirit, right? To be connected, not secondhand, not thirdhand, but firsthand. To be connected to the Spirit directly, to listen to him, to hear from him, to tune your ear, to hear his voice so that we know it's him guiding and directing us. And to be changed by the Spirit, that your affections are stirred, your desires are changed, you live differently, you want new things, you get rid of old things, not just setting them aside, but get rid of them so that we can live fully the way that God desires for us to live so that we won't feel like something's missing or there's special knowledge that somebody else has that we don't have, but that we would have the full knowledge of God and the full knowledge of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. That's what we're aiming for. Will you guys pray with me this morning? God, we come before you, and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for your word, and even... When you give us interesting stories and strange stories about what's happening and how you're working in the world or people that try to use your name and it doesn't work, God, because we know that there is power in the name of Jesus, the power to heal, the power to save, the power to grow, the power to receive the Spirit, and that one day everyone is going to bow at your name. So God, help us to remember that and that we would bow to you now, that we would give our lives over to you, that we would follow you, that we would seek you, that we would seek to grow more accurately in our knowledge and understanding and experience of you, that we wouldn't be complacent and say, oh, that's enough, or it's good enough, but to continue to grow, to continue to move forward, and to help others do the same. So God, help us to create a culture, a place where we help one another grow in Christ, where we seek you and seek to know you more accurately so that you can change us and change others through us. It's in your name I pray. Amen.